listening to the Long Hollow Young Adults Podcast. We are the Young Adults Ministry at Long Hollow Church, located in Hendersonville, Tennessee. If you are interested in learning more about us or looking to attend one of our gatherings, you can follow us on Instagram at LHYoungAdults or visit longhollow.com for more information. And now, a message from our Young Adults Pastor, Dylan Young. As we come together to celebrate this Passion Week, I hope it's been a week that has been meaningful for you already, even as we're just a Tuesday. I mean, maybe you've heard it referred to as Passion Week before, and it comes from the Latin word for suffering. The suffering, the type of suffering that we see Jesus endure on the cross later in this week, right? And what I want to do for us tonight is to help us prepare ourselves to get to this weekend, get to Good Friday, and get to Resurrection Sunday, and get there in a place where we've prepared ourselves to truly worship that morning. Now, we, we, we see this idea in all sorts of areas of life. We even see it in our faith every now and then, but it's not something that we talk about a lot, actually preparing ourselves to go worship. But Mark Wahlberg, actually, that's not who you thought I was going to reference next. Thank you, whoever wooed Mark Wahlberg. Um, He was on the Today Show back in February talking about his Catholic faith, and he was talking about what it means to him and how he goes about trying to prepare himself for Easter. And the tagline on the bottom of the screen read, Mark Wahlberg's 40-Day Challenge. I don't think that is what Mark had in mind because it's not his challenge, right? It's not something Mark is challenging us to do. Man, that's something we all ought to be doing as believers preparing ourselves to worship on Easter. Now, we, we know what Mark is doing is called Lent, and we see that um, in some specific parts of the Christian faith. And it's not something that everybody does, but maybe it should be. Maybe it should be a regular part of the rhythm of our year to really take some time to prepare ourselves for Easter. Because we, we do this in other areas of life. We get prepared for specific moments and sometimes preparation backfires on us. Sometimes you fill out a March Madness bracket like I've talked to you guys about before and you take your time and you really think with logic and you understand these teams that you're thinking about and then you're humbled yet again when your four-year-old son for the second year in a row beats everyone in your family with his bracket just picking animals. Sometimes preparation really backfires on you and you need to just keep things simple. But He beat all of you that were in our uh, young adults bracket challenge too, just for the record. It's not just me, but uh, we we also prepare ourselves for real things in life where the preparation is necessary. Like you're not going to show up to exam day not having studied at all, hopefully. You're not going to sign up for a marathon and then get to race day without going through a months long process of training and preparing your body. Unless you're on a TV show, you're not going to marry somebody that you barely know. You're going to go through a process of getting to know someone before you get to the other process of planning a wedding, right? We do this all the time. We prepare ourselves for specific days and specific moments. And what I want you to see tonight is that Jesus went through a preparation process. He didn't just show up on Good Friday and say, I'm here, I'm ready to be the sacrifice. No, he went through an examination, a preparation process. I want us to see what he went through that week and see how we can relate to it and prepare ourselves tonight. So if you would with me, open up to Matthew 21, and we're going to start walking through this Passion Week, seeing what all Jesus was seeing, what he was doing that week, um, how other people were viewing him and deciding what they thought about him. 
We're in Matthew chapter 21, starting in verse 1. And this is the entrance that Jesus makes into Jerusalem. Matthew 21 says this, When they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus then sent two disciples, telling them, Go into the village ahead of you. At once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. Tell daughter Zion, see, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So already we're seeing part of this examination process happening. Verse six, the disciples went and did just as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and then they laid their clothes on them and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their clothes on the road. Others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them on the road. This is why we call it Palm Sunday. Verse nine, then the crowds who went ahead of him and those who followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in an uproar saying, who is this? The crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Even just Jesus's entrance to the city is part of this preparation and examination process. He's going through, the people are viewing him and they're saying, wait a minute, this is prophecy being fulfilled right here. We know when the king comes, he's gonna be riding on a donkey. We're seeing, maybe this is the guy. Maybe this is the king we've been waiting for. This is the Messiah, the deliverer we've been hoping and waiting for. This is the guy people are starting to make decisions about who they think Jesus is. As we step into the week on Monday, we see that it's a day full of really emotion for Jesus. We see him in the temple. You know the story of him tossing the temple tables. He's upset at this religious system where he's finding the people selling things and making profit off of those who are coming to worship. And he's saying, no, no, this is not what my house is supposed to be. This is meant to be a house of prayer. And he's upset about it. We see him give us the picture of the fig tree that he curses, and it can feel like this confusing thing. But I think the image that Jesus wants us to see there is, man, he, from a distance, this fig tree, here's the, here's the warning for us. The fig tree looks good from a distance. It looked just like it was supposed to. It was pretty. It was beautiful. But when you get up close, there was no fruit on it. John the Baptist earlier in Matthew referred to it as the fruit consistent with repentance. And he's given us this, man, this is what the religious system looked like. Man, it looks good on the outside, but once you get inside, there's nothing there. There's no substance to it. And let that be a warning for us as well. And ultimately we see Jesus weeping over Jerusalem. He sees, he's seeing, man, I want them to get this. I want them to see that their king is here. And he's weeping, hoping that they don't miss him. We move into Tuesday. Tuesday is a day of testing for Jesus, where, where this real testing process starts. And we see the beginning of it later in chapter 21, starting in, just in verse 23. You can read that with me. When he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him as he was teaching. And they said, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority? They've started this real testing examination process. Like they don't like Jesus because he's taking, they're talking about authority. He's taking authority from them. People are starting to look to Jesus instead of them and they don't like it. 
So they're saying, man, where's your authority coming from? They're looking for, here's what they do. They're doing all throughout this week. They're trying to find a flaw. They're gonna ask him any question they think can trip him up. They've got, if there's a flaw there, they've got to find it so they can exploit it in Jesus. Turning over to chapter 26, we see some of what starts to happen on Wednesday. And we have this interesting picture here of the value that people start to place on Jesus. And in chapter 26, starting in verse six, we're gonna see what two people think of Jesus and the price that they would be willing to give for Jesus and what they think of him. Chapter 26, starting in verse six. While Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, a woman approached him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume. She poured it out on his head as he was reclining at the table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This might have been sold for a great deal and given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a noble thing for me. You'll always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. By pouring this perfume on my body, she has prepared me for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And here we are still talking about it, right? This woman has taken this alabaster jar, which was probably worth a year's salary in this time, and she's given it to Jesus in this moment just to honor him. And man, that forces us to ask the question, would I give up a year of my salary in some form just to honor Jesus in one moment with him? That's a tough question to answer, right? Man, what, what value, what worth do I see in Jesus? When we see even the disciples are confused by this because it's so extravagant what she's done for Jesus and how, how holy she views him, how high in esteem that she holds him. As we keep reading in this passage, look at verse 14. We see the low price that others put on Jesus' head. Verse 14 says, Then one of the twelve, the man called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? So they weighed out 30 pieces of silver for him. And from that time, he started looking for a good opportunity to betray him. And a major, major difference in the value someone sees in Jesus. The religious leaders in this moment, they just want him gone. They see no value in this man. They only see him as a problem. And this 30 pieces of silver was the price that we see in scripture that would be paid for a lost slave. That's the price that they put on Jesus. Everyone is making decisions about Jesus as they watch him move through this week. Some place great value on Jesus and others decide he's not worthy of worship. And that's the moment that we're brought to, that we need to be reminded of every time we get to this Easter week. Jesus is trying to give them the picture of who he is. He's trying to get through to them. And another picture that we see here that we've got to pay attention for is this picture of the sacrificial lamb. So this week, the reason there were such great crowds here in Jerusalem is because this is Passover week. It's the week where all of the people of God are celebrating the Passover that happened long ago where God saved them from the slavery of Egypt, right? They get together to have this Passover meal where they have a sacrificial lamb, they have the unleavened bread, they eat a meal together in remembrance of what God did in the past 
saving them. And part of the process was they each family had this sacrificial lamb. And here's the cool thing how this lines up with Jesus. This is, this is really cool and it, and it hurts my heart that people miss this at the time. Here's the process it looked like for choosing that sacrificial lamb. So Passover each year was on a specific day of the year. It wasn't like the first Sunday of the month or whatever, it was a very specific day. And on the 10th of the month called Nisan, uh, the sacrificial lamb was selected for the family. That, that lamb is selected and it just so happens that this year that we're talking about, that 10th of the month was Sunday, the Sunday that Jesus rode into town. Y'all, he's, he's presenting himself as the sacrificial lamb for us in that moment. He's saying, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm selected. God, God selected me, right? I'm presenting myself for examination because that's the next step of this process for the sacrificial lambs. They go through a, not a coincidence, four day process of examination by the religious leaders. They look at each lamb and they're seeing, is there any kind of spot or blemish on this lamb that would disqualify it as, a, as an acceptable sacrificial lamb for this family? That's the extensive process these lambs are going through. And you could even take it a step further. Just the timing of when the lambs are killed on the Friday of that year, it lines up perfectly with when Jesus was killed on the cross. Y'all, Jesus is presenting himself as the lamb. He's presenting himself as the lamb. Maybe we ought to prepare ourselves to worship that lamb of God. Maybe we ought to put ourselves through a process of preparing ourselves to worship this king who has come in the form of a servant to give himself up for us. Here's what has happened throughout this week. Not only has Jesus gone through a preparation process, but the whole time he's been putting the people through a preparation process too. The disciples themselves, we see them learning. We also see he's, he's he's really put the religious leaders through this process as well. Because every time they're asking him a question, what's he respond with? A question of his own. And the message that he has for this this religious system, the religious machine, if you will, the question he has for them is, man, are are you gonna miss me? Are you gonna be so stuck on your religious authority that you have? Are you gonna be so stuck within your routine that you miss me? That's what he's challenging them with. And that's what we need to challenge ourselves with. Maybe if, you're, maybe if you've been in church for a long time, maybe this week is just routine for you. So man, I would encourage you tonight, don't get caught up in your plans for after church on Sunday. Spend so much time thinking about what you're gonna cook or what you're doing with your family that you miss worshiping Jesus because you're caught up in the moment. Don't, don't spend so much time in, in thinking about your, your seersucker suit that you haven't worn since last year or scrolling to find the perfect Easter dress. Like, do all that stuff. Y'all have seen my boys enough now to know my wife has one hobby and is dressing our boys. And they'll be in their southern finest come Sunday morning. Do that stuff, but don't miss Jesus in the process. Don't miss Jesus in the process because y'all, if, like I said just a moment ago, if you've grown up in church, if this is something that you've celebrated over and over again, man, don't get to the end of this week and let it be every other week, like every other time you've celebrated Easter. I mean, realize you've just gone through the routine and really you've missed Jesus. Don't let that be said of you because what Jesus does for his disciples here is that he makes sure they don't miss what he's doing 
in this moment when he celebrates the Lord's Supper, as it's soon to be called, with them. So they're about to celebrate the Passover meal, and he's about to redefine it for all of them. And what I want to do with you guys now is I want to celebrate communion, as we call it. I want to take communion with you guys. I mean, make sure we're, we're going through this preparation process for ourselves and making sure God cleanses our souls. I mean, make sure we're ready to worship on Sunday. So what I want to do, you see we have two stations up front here um, with, the, with the elements of communion on them. And I want to give you just a moment to come forward and you, you can grab these yourselves. We'll have some people there to, to help you do that. I want you to come grab a cup. I want you to grab some bread and go back to your seat. And then we're going to walk through what, what this meal meant for the disciples and Jesus and how Jesus goes about redefining this process and this meal for them. So you can go ahead now and start taking the elements and go back to your seat and we'll, and we'll continue in just a moment. As you're making your way back to your seats, uh, I want to explain a little bit of communion to you. Maybe if you're unfamiliar with it, maybe it's something you've done your whole life, but it might not be. Um, I, I, want to, I want to invite you in this moment. Maybe this is something that seems kind of weird to you, that we're, we've got some bread and some juice in this moment. I, I want you to see that this is, a, this is a big deal for us as followers of Jesus. So this is a moment for us to remember what's about to happen on Good Friday when Jesus gave up his body and gave up his blood for us. And, and we take these elements in remembrance of those things as Jesus encourages his disciples to do here. And I do wanna to say to you, if, if you're not a follower of Jesus right now, this is something that scripture would actually tell you not to participate in. It's kind of a family thing, if you will, for us as followers of Jesus. And I realize that you've already got the elements with you and it may feel kind of awkward not to do it. But, but scripture would tell you that if you're not following Jesus and you do partake in this, you're actually bringing judgment on yourself. Um, and, I, and I would encourage you, as awkward as it may feel, just don't do it in this moment. Um, we're not gonna question you or call you out or anything like that. Just, just refrain from doing that. But I would invite you maybe to participate, maybe to take this moment and as we continue this conversation tonight to man, be open to Jesus. Would you let this be the moment where you decide, yeah, that's, that's the, the king that I want to follow, the one that's willing to give up his life for me? Because that's what the disciples decided to do. That's what so many others decided to do. And I pray that that might be what you would decide to do in this moment if you've never done that before. And as we, as we move into uh, communion, we, we see Jesus, he's explaining this process to the disciples. He's saying, hey, we've always taken this as the Passover meal, right? We've got our, we've got our lamb and we've got our, uh, our, our cup and our bread, but that's not, that's not what we're remembering anymore. Yes, we still praise God for the Exodus and what he did for our people back then, but now, Jesus gives them a new definition. He says, this is me. And in, in uh, Matthew chapter 26, this is what he reads to the disciples. This is what he says to the disciples. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take and eat. This is my body. God, we thank you for your body that you willingly gave up for us as our sacrificial lamb. And we pray that we would be mindful of you 
all throughout this week, that we would be mindful of your body and the pain that you went through, that you gave up for us. Lord, we take this bread now in remembrance of you, and we honor you and we praise you for giving up your body for us. Jesus, we love you and we pray it in your name. to the cup and he explains that this wine that he has in his hand is representative of his blood that he poured out for us this was not just a death this was a violent death this was a brutal death that he suffered and he gave up his blood for us and that blood covers us and it covers our sin it atones for our sin and that's what we celebrate in this moment. And Jesus, again, redefines this for us. And he says, we're no longer looking at the blood of a lamb that was spread over a door. But in verse 27, he says, then he took a cup and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. God, we praise you for this blood that you gave up for us. Thank you that you cover our sin with it. Thank you that we no longer have to look to a sacrificial lamb. We don't have to go through that process anymore. We can just look to you as our spirit. God, we are so grateful for the blood that you gave up for us and we praise you and we thank you now. I hope that you see whenever we take some time to prepare our hearts and to let God reveal things in our life that need to be dealt with, that need to be repented of. And man, when we do those things, we can view the cross properly. And that's where we are within the week at this point. We've made it to the cross where Jesus is, like we've been talking about, taking his place as our sacrificial lamb. He saw the burden of our sin and he takes it upon himself. And we no longer have to look to the sacrificial lamb for each individual family. We don't have to do any of that process anymore. We can simply look to Jesus as the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that includes yours. We get to just look to Jesus. And the way I want to look at the cross tonight Jesus paid that price for sin. There's always been a price that had to be paid for sin from the very beginning. And Jesus decided to pay that for us, right? And the way I want to look at this moment on the cross tonight is I want to very humbly try to get a little glimpse into what this was like for Jesus to feel the weight of sin. That he had never participated in himself but man, all of it was put on him in this moment. And like I said, I wanna do this humbly because there's no way we can understand what this truly felt like for Jesus. But I wanna try to get a little bit of a glimpse into what this was like for him. In Matthew 23, I think we see some of the opposite of what Jesus was doing in this moment. He, he's referring to the religious leaders who he's been confronting this whole week. Here's how he describes them in chapter 23, verse four of Matthew. 
He said, they tie up heavy loads that are hard to carry. He's talking about the system, all the rules that they, that they place on top of people. That's, that was religion for them. That was worship of God for them was obeying the rules and doing this just right. They, they heap up heavy loads that, are, loads that are hard to carry and put them on people's shoulders, but they themselves aren't willing to lift a finger to move them. What I want you to see is that Jesus stepped in and did that for us. Like there, it's, there's a burden to our sin. There's a burden to wanting to, to please the Lord and, and wanting to live a life that honors Him. There's a, there's a burden that comes along with that. And I want you to see that Jesus saw that. He saw the, the, the debt that you owed with your sin and He said, I'll take care of it. I will take that burden for you. And, and just for a moment to, like I said, I'm gonna ask you to do something a little unorthodox, but just for a moment, I want you to go back to a time in your own life, maybe that's really painful. Something that, something that has happened to you or a family member, whatever the case may be, something that is painful, that's a memory for you. And I want you to imagine if that memory was just gone. What would life look like if that had never happened? What would that feel like to you? Like what if Jesus just stepped in and said, I'll, I'll take it for you. Whatever that pain is that you're feeling, whatever the, the emotion is that was just lifted from you, I'll take it on myself. Because we need to realize that however painful that moment is, and trust me, I've got my stuff too. However painful that is, it doesn't compare to the, the destiny that Jesus saw for us before we looked on him as our savior. This separation from God that lasts for all eternity when we don't view Jesus as our savior, you know, that, that's what he wants to take off of you. He wants to take your sin and he wants to take the debt that you owe because of it. And he wants to take it on himself. He wants to take that weight. And it's not a weight that we can truly understand. We'll never know how heavy this sin-soaked beam was that he carried across his shoulders, but he did it. And we get a little glimpse of it in some of the words that he says as he prayed the night before, we know that he's asking God the Father, if there's any other way, if there's any other way we can do this, I don't want to go through this. I don't want to feel the pain that I'm about to endure. I don't want my body to have to go through this process, but God, if it's what needs to be done, I'll do it. I'll do it for these people because I love them. He doesn't want to, we see the anguish that he's in there. And we see it again in some of his words from the cross. You may know them when he, he cries out to the father and says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me or abandoned me? That's a, that's a big statement for Jesus to make. That comes out of a place of deep, pain, emotional and spiritual and physical. And I hope that you, you're feeling some of that within yourself. We see it in his words. And, and that phrase that he cries out on the cross is one that has for a long time kind of perplexed me. Like, what is he saying there? Like, is, is there really this, is that really what's happening in this moment? Is he separated from God? Like did God abandon, did the, did the father abandon him? 
And we don't know what that was truly like, but we do know that in that moment, he, he's gone from perfect unity with God the Father and the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden he feels the weight of the sin of the world. And man, it at least feels like he's been abandoned, right? It feels like he's alone carrying this whole weight. And what I want you to see is that when Jesus says things like this, it is rarely just for that one statement. Because that, that one statement is actually the beginning of Psalm 22. And what he wants us to do in that moment, I'm confident of is he said, hey, I started this Psalm. You need to, this needs to jog your memory to what's happening in that moment in Psalm 22. And what I wanna do is just read Psalm 22 over you. And it's this, it's a Psalm of David and it's a Psalm where he is in agony himself, where he doesn't understand why things are happening to him in life, where he feels like God has abandoned him, right? And we see some insight into how he's feeling in all these moments and some insight into how obviously Jesus was feeling too. But we also see that at the end of it, they still praise God. This is all pointing to a loving God, even in the toughest moment that any of them ever experienced, right? Let me read Psalm 22 for you. And I want you to, to try to get a little glimpse of what Jesus was experiencing and, and go into this however you need to, whatever posture you need to take. If you wanna close your eyes and just listen, that's fine. Um, whatever you need to do to let these words soak into you that Jesus was feeling in this moment. This is Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far from my deliverance and from my words of groaning? My God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. By night, yet I have no rest. But you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Our ancestors trusted in you. They trusted and you rescued them. They cried to you and were set free. They trusted in you and were not disgraced. But I'm a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by people. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads. He relies on the Lord. Let him save him. Let the Lord rescue him since he takes pleasures in him. It was you who brought me out of the womb, making me secure at my mother's breast. I was given over to you at birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. Don't be far from me because distress is near and there's no one to help me. Many bulls surround me, strong ones of Bashan encircle me. They open their mouths against me, lions mauling and roaring. I am poured out like water and all my bones are disjointed. My heart is like wax melting within me. My strength is dried up like clay, my, like clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You put me in the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me, a gang of evildoers has closed in on me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People look and stare at me. They divided my garments among themselves and they cast lots for my clothing. This is exactly what happened to Jesus. Verse 19, but you, Lord, don't be far away. My strength come quickly to help me. Rescue my life from the sword, my only life from the power of these dogs. Save me from the lion's mouth, from the horns of wild oxen. You answered me. I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you in the assembly. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. All you descendants of Israel, revere him, for he has not despised or abhorred the torment of the oppressed. He did not hide his face from him, but listened when he cried to him for help. 
I will give praise in the great assembly because of you. I will fulfill my vows before those who fear you. The humble will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before you for kingship belongs to the Lord. He rules the nations. All who prosper on earth will eat and bow down. All those who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Even the one who cannot preserve his life, their descendants will serve him. The next generation will be told about the Lord. Now all this comes through this suffering. Verse 31, they will come and declare his righteousness to a people yet to be born. They will declare what God has done. Let's stand and praise him. Yeah, when we properly see the cross in all of its horror, really, and we see that Jesus was the one who was willing to take that burden on for us, I, I hope that you hear and see in the way he, he talked about those, the, the religious leaders. It's not just them. It, it's anywhere else you look for your hope. It's anywhere you look to have a burden lifted off of you. There's nowhere else that you can find a burden lifted than in Jesus. That's the only place you're gonna find that happening. Nothing else that you can place your identity in, your hope in, no other religion, nothing else is gonna take a burden off of you. In fact, most of those things are gonna place burdens on you. When we properly see that, we can finally get to Resurrection Sunday and we can truly celebrate what happened that day. I want you to think back to the beginning. We talked a little bit about some other things that we prepare ourselves for, one of those being a wedding. Now. Disclaimer on this, I am not saying that you have to get married one day to be a success. There is, Jesus was single. There's nothing wrong with being single. That's not what I'm saying with this illustration, but you prepare for a wedding day, right? There's a lot of work, there's a lot of thought that goes into a day like that, months of it in most cases. Maybe some of you ladies already have the wedding day planned out and all you're missing is the groom, right? That happens. Maybe you're the guy who one day you will be the clueless, soon-to-be husband. And I want you to say, I want to hear you to hear me say, that's okay. You can be clueless, give your opinion when they ask for it, and don't have your feelings hurt when they don't go with your opinion. Just roll with it. Just roll with it. Um, but think about that day when you finally get to it. It's a celebration, right? There's a whole lot of work that's gone into it. There are friendships that have built into this relationship. There's so much leading to that one moment. And I want you to think about that day, it just goes perfectly. Like the weather is just right. The ceremony has just the perfect amount of emotion and humor mixed in in the right places. As the bride and groom exit at the end of the night, the doves are released at just the right time. Like it's the day that they hope for. It's the day that you've dreamed of. And what I wanted to ask you is who on that day had the most fun? Like who enjoyed the wedding ceremony the most and the party that happened afterwards? Who is enjoying that day more than anybody else? And what I would say is it's the ones who put in the time and the effort on the front end. 
the, the bride and the groom and their families, they're the one, like everybody else has fun. Everybody gets a meal out of it. They get to dance if they want to. Like everybody has a good time at this wedding, but the bride and the groom, they celebrate this day more than anybody else because they're the ones that have been the most in the process, right? They've had to go through the most preparation. They've been to the counseling, they've done all the planning and they've seen it all come together in this one moment. They're the ones that celebrate more than anybody else. And what I want you to hear me saying tonight is that, man, if we will take some time to prepare our hearts this week, don't don't let this just be another week that happens to end in Easter. Don't let it be that. If you'll take the time to prepare your heart, to spend more time than normal with Jesus even, you're gonna get to Sunday and maybe experience it in a way that you haven't before. You're gonna be able to celebrate in a way that you haven't before. So we we know the story doesn't end at the cross, right? We know that Jesus goes into the grave and it's heavily guarded, but the angels make a way in, right? They move the stone. The stone is gone. God raises Jesus from the dead and he is alive. Like he's defeated death. He's defeated sin. And we have hope once and for all through him. That's a celebration, and what I want you to see in scripture is what, what does this do for the people that knew Jesus best, who were most intimately familiar with all of his life, that have gone through the process with him, that have been with him even in this week that we've been studying tonight? What happens for them on this day of Jesus's resurrection? And we can see this at the end of Matthew in chapter 28. We see what happens to two ladies that have been so close to Jesus. They're the first ones that make it to the tomb, right? Here's what happens in chapter 28 to begin with of Matthew. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to view the tomb. There was a violent earthquake because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and approached the tomb. He rolled back the stone and was sitting on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards were so shaken by fear of him that they became like dead men. The angel told the woman, don't be afraid because I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here for he's risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell the disciples he's risen from the dead and indeed he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Listen, I have told you. Verse eight, so departing quickly from the tomb with fear, that's for real, but also with great joy, they ran to tell the disciples the good news. Jesus met them and said, greetings. They came up, took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus told them, don't be afraid, go and tell my brothers to leave for Galilee and they'll see me there. These ladies who have been so intimately intertwined with this process of all of Jesus's life, but especially this week, they've seen it up close and personal as he has been prepared as our sacrificial lamb. Man, they see Jesus risen and they have great joy, it says. And they run to tell other people. I imagine this story, the truth of the resurrection hardly ever left their lips after this moment. What does it do for the disciples who have spent these last three years so closely with him and they've seen everything Jesus has said and done and they've learned from him and they've viewed him rightly and they've viewed him wrongly at different times and they finally have reached the culmination of his life. What does it do for those guys? Here's what happens at the end of Luke in chapter 24. 
the very last few verses. Verse 51, and while he was blessing them, he left them and was carried up into heaven. Verse 52, after worshiping him, they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. So they worship and they leave with great joy and they were continually in the temple praising God. Here's what I want you to see. The people that were closest with Jesus, the people that had been part of the process, the people that were willing to give up their time and their lives to prepare themselves for a life following after Jesus. They're the ones that have the most joy in this moment. They're the ones that get to celebrate the resurrection more than other people do because they were so close to Jesus. Y'all, I want that to be you on Sunday. I want that to be you guys. Don't, don't just let this just be something disciples, that the disciples had great joy over. I want you to get to Sunday and see the reality of the cross and see the truth of the resurrection and think this is for me. I can have this great joy too. And you may be wondering why, why have we looked at this story this way this night? This is kind of a unique way to look at this Passion Week. And it's because I want you to have hopefully a new norm of what this week looks like for you. I want it to be a week of preparation for all of us. Like how cool would it be for all of us to get to Sunday morning and be like, man, I've, I've spent a lot of time trying to ask God to show me things in my life that I need to repent of. I've spent a lot of time in God's word. And my, my prayer for you is that you end Sunday. You get to Sunday afternoon after church, maybe you've been with your family and you've got a joy that maybe you've never experienced before because you've truly prepared yourself for this day. And there's some really, really simple ways that I think we can just tangibly go prepare ourselves. And one of those would be, I would encourage you, maybe if you feel like you've lost some of the joy of your salvation, if you've lost some of the excitement of Easter, of Jesus's resurrection, man, ask God to restore that joy to you. Ask him to restore the joy of your salvation. Y'all, that's biblical. <laughs> David did it, Psalm 51. He's asking him, he's like, God, man, I've been in a bad spot. I need you to return the joy of my salvation. Remind me how good it is to be in a relationship with you. Remind me how meaningful it is that you went to the cross on my behalf and that you raised from the dead. Restore the joy of my salvation. Maybe that's what you need to ask God to do over the next few days. Maybe for you, it needs to be just reading the story of Jesus's life as much as possible. You could, you could take it slowly, pick, pick one of the gospels, and each day you're reading a little bit and you get to Sunday and you're reading the resurrection story. Spend some time in God's word. Maybe you, maybe you wanna be the person who, and you got a few days, try to read through all of the gospels and, and read the different ways that they write about this week. Y'all, God's word doesn't return void, right? Like spend time in this word more than you normally do this week leading up to Sunday. And then the last one would be this. Real tangibly, I would encourage you to consider fasting from something. And, and you've probably heard this idea before, but I want you to actually consider doing this this week, either from food or social media or, or whatever it is that God brings to mind for you that you need to take a break from do that. And I know that when I have fasted, what I've learned for myself is that fasting, whatever you fast from, reminds you of how human you are. I mean, if you fast from food, you're going to realize real quick how often you think about food, right? It reminds you how human you are, the needs that you have, that you're not God. 
I mean, we can take those moments, the moments where you, where you want to jump onto your phone. We, we, we can take those moments that we're going to have throughout our whole day and say, no, I'm going to redirect my thoughts from food or, or wherever else it is. I'm going to redirect my thoughts and fix my mind on Christ in this moment. I want to do it different this week. I mean, my, my hope would be that that becomes maybe a normal thing for you. Maybe, you, maybe, there's, maybe there's a hang-up that you have in your life, a particular sin issue, whatever it may be, something that you know you need to take a break from. Ask the Lord to bring something to mind that you need to take a break from and fast from that the rest of this week. Go for it. Like, see what God might do if you will take the time to prepare yourselves. And listen, here's, here's what I'm hoping happens on Sunday. I, I hope you leave with a whole different experience, maybe than you've ever had before. We're gonna prepare ourselves we're going to try to follow Jesus' lead and take this week seriously. Go through and ask God to do an examination on you I and mean, see what's in your life that, that needs to be dealt with, what's there that's right and good. And we're going to trust that God will work in that process and that he will leave you Sunday morning realizing that we celebrate because we have a risen Savior. We have a living hope. We serve a king who is not dead, but who is seated on the throne would you pray with me? God, we are so, so grateful that you are risen, that you are our living hope. That God, we don't have to wonder well, what you think of us. We know that you love us because of what we see this week, this whole process you were willing to go through, this death that you were willing to suffer and the, the resurrection that we see on Easter Sunday. God, I pray that you would give us a great joy as we leave this place tonight and as we lead into the rest of the week. God, would you do something different? Would you do something different in our lives this week? Would help us not to treat this just as any other week, but Lord, would we be quick to tell other people about the joy that we have in you? Would we be quick to be mindful of you, to turn our minds from other things and to fix our eyes on you. God, thank you for the salvation that we have in you. Thank you that you are risen, that you didn't stay dead, but God, that you defeated death and sin for us. Lord, we pray it all in Jesus' holy name.